Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Talking Comics Podcast. It's February 26th, 2020, otherwise known as New Comic Book Day. And you're listening to episode number 431. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me this week, as always, is Mr. Bob Ryer. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey! And Mr. Joey Bracino is here. It's a leap year. It is a leap year. I am going to see Nick Offerman live on leap year day or leap day. Leap day? Do you actually call it leap day? I don't know, dude. It's up on my calendar upstairs. It's the last day in February. Uh, It's a Saturday and it's in Niagara Falls. He's going to do a little song, a little dance. A little seltzer in your pants. And uh, I hope he has either the beard or the mustache. Or both. So that I can sit there and stare in envy. Oh, I mm. thought that was his backing band, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, he's got musical chops. Uh, obviously, he's a comedian as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's written some books. He's a woodworking person. Um, jack of all trades. He's a real hey, man. Yeah, yeah. He he's a man's man. As well. Spins his own wool to make his own shirts. <laughs> he probably does. I love Ron Swanson. One of my favorite favorite television characters of all time mm-hmm. i know more than you all right <laughs> let's see here uh beep it a boo we are going to move things along real fast this week seeing as it is just the three of us we have actually a couple of news bits to talk about at least four stories that went around during the week and uh we have lightning rounds that are just chock full of books and shows and all kinds of stuff. I don't know where we managed to fit all this stuff in, uh, seeing as it's an early recording week, but whatever. Uh, Let's just jump right into it with uh, some comic book talk. Bob, would you care to go first? You have a mighty list over here. No, it's a short list. It's not that big. Yeah. But I'll go first. Are you really shocked? (laughs) Lightning. (laughs) It's electricity. (laughs) Shocked. It was a pun. All right. Smell the ozone. Uh, Roll the eyes at home. It's okay. We know. All right, Bob. I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for you. Go. First up, it's a quick farewell as issue number 12 marks the end of David Avalon's Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Along with his Betty Page, he's shown a great knack for meta-narratives with these iconic ladies. And here's hoping that the last page tease of an Elvira meets team-up book comes true. Ooh. Ooh. Next up, Aquaman 57 by Kelly Sue DeConnick, Robson Roca, Daniel Enriquez, Romeo Fajardo Jr., and Clayton Cowles. 
If you've been at all intrigued by our praise of this series, but still haven't added to your pull list, you might want to get to the store quickly, as this issue is already attracting a lot of speculator interest, as it features the birth of the Aqua Baby. <laughs> New Infant will have an amazing birth story to tell in the coming years, that's for sure. What with Manta shenanigans, giant sea monsters, and royal intrigue, and it's one you should be there for. Captain America 19, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Jason Masters, Bob Quinn, and Lucas Wernick. Well, it has its own birth story to tell, as Agatha Harkness relates to Steve Rogers the history of the Daughters of Liberty and their leader, the Dryad, a role currently filled by, wait for it, Peggy Carter. But do I need to say anything more to pique your curiosity? I think not. Deadpool number three by Kelly Thompson and Chris Bocciolo takes the battle for monster knee Staten Island to another level as Deadpool and Craven finally square off mano a mano. Uh, now that's prefaced uh, by a two-page spread as Wade consults his expansion pack of the Monsters of the Marvel Universe cards, uh, making sly reference to Ryan North and Squirrel Girl while he's at it. And... Those cards actually help him get his friendly monsters out of harm's way. And in that pack, Jeff, the baby land shark, already has a card. Just saying. Fantastic Four, number 19, Dan Slott, Sean Isaacs, uh, Mario Menzi, uh, Eric Arseniega. I got that right, I think. And Joe Carmagna. It's the conclusion of the Point of Origin story arc. And I believe it did that beautifully. Not to spoil too much, but a new twist has been added to the FF's origin in that the overseer of a distant world, well, he's engineered the cosmic ray exposure that gave the team their powers, all in an effort to circumvent a prophecy that had them as the foretold who would destroy his civilization. Been a great run, uh, with this finale filled with the requisite action and humor, more importantly, you know, the grand sense of family that... that has always been in the best of FF stories. On top of that, even though there are probably many of you out there who think that what I'm about to say can't be a real thing, there are some fabulous read moments that show both his humanity and sense of devotion to his family and friends. You add in some intriguing teases for our next adventure. This was an all-around spectacular issue. Finally, Captain Marvel uses a bunch of her powers in all sorts of interesting ways in her issue 15 as she tries to subdue the She-Hulk and Captain America in her attempts to stop the evil Vox Humana from his plans of extermination. Kelly Thompson's run has been stellar, and this dramatic arc in particular I think stands with the best Carol Danvers stories, here ably assisted by Lee Garbett, Tamra Bonvion, and Clayton Cowles. If you haven't been reading Captain Marvel, why not? That's it. All those books, and you've got a minute and 22 seconds left. Well, there you go. Damn, I could also say I read Seven Days, Catalyst Prime, issue number five, and it continues to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I know not. I still, I, we have a big list from a reader who I don't have it in front of me right now. It was very nice of him to send out an entire primer to the Catalyst Prime universe. So that'll, that'll, that'll help me once I get finished with this one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back into that. I don't think that I have sat down with it since the second issue, which I absolutely loved. So I'll uh, probably be digging that into that into the next week. That uh, was from uh, Gregory, Gregory Lujan. Yep. Thank you, Gregory. Greggy. <laughs> Huge list. 
Yes, indeed. Okay, I have questions and observations. Okay. Right. About your about your list, I do. Uh, do we get a name for the Aqua Baby? We get a sex for the Aqua Baby, and I'm not saying. <gasps> yeah, there's no name. It's a very. It's a it's a it's a classic serialized story ending. I'll put it yes. that way. Yeah. Okay. Put some, some lovely attacks on the healthcare system. Yes. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> what do you mean? No, there's just some, you know, some biting some social commentary. <laughs> oh, I love biting social commentary. It's fun. I really liked uh, Aquaman 57. I'm really glad that I was able to catch up with it for the best of shows. Um, I know you guys love the 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 Robson Roca art. I'm not a fan of it. How dare I you, know, I know. I feel bad because you guys love it so much. It just feels... And this is my thing with the the Batman the, the Batman stuff as well. It just feels too DC. Uh, feels too DC. And yeah. that's like the worst thing to say because it's a DC like flagship book. But uh, there's just something about it that I it's just not what I like. It's not my. Oh, it's not I my love cup it, of tea. man. It reminds me of all the drawings that I would find in the Jacques Cousteau books when they would sketch out the whales and the. Like oh. the artifacts and stuff they've found. Yeah, some of the animal work, like the 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 fish work, is great. Mother Shark, world, come on. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. but the the people, every all of them have like the sharpest jawlines. It's it's just like everything's pointy when it comes to the the humans. Uh, and I, 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 it's, it is, it is what it is. Um, I loved it and I actually really liked it as a follow up to what Kyle Higgins did on the on the last issue. Um, which was that kind of more intimate, like throwback mm -hmm. Aquaman Mera story. And now to see them in this uh, setting in the quote unquote present, um, I really enjoyed. I, I, it's a really great story. It's an epic story that's been playing out since. Remember when Arthur didn't know who he was and he was on the strange island and they were like crazy, yeah. like sea gods like that he was hanging out with? <laughs> that seems like forever ago. And now here we are with Aqua Baby. So I really enjoyed that issue. Um, and I'm really glad to be reading Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we not agree that Marvel is leaving money on the table by not reproducing those trading cards? Nice. Reproduce. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, I know that trading cards are probably no longer a thing, but I can't help but feel like if they did some kind of Deadpool, not that Marvel would need to do a Kickstarter, but like just a Marvel.com exclusive where they sell a 52 pack of what would be, you know, like playing cards, but they're the Deadpool or the, the squirrel go yeah. cards. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So get your act together, Marvel. <laughs> get new ideas. Uh, and the last thing that I wanted to say before we get into more about it, um, I don't know why I wrote his next account. Oh, I know why. Because in Captain Marvel, um, she fights She-Hulk. And uh, like many people... I was hoping that uh, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, she plays Rosa Diaz, was maybe going to be a contender for the She-Hulk role. But she has announced that, alas, they are filming She-Hulk when they are filming the season eight of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So she will not, yeah. not be in the running to play She-Hulk, which I think is a real shame. That being said... I would never take Rosa Diaz away from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, not even for She-Hulk. I think there are, are other people 
that are are capable of playing that character that I would like to see play that character. Uh, so it's okay. Didn't uh, didn't Stephanie Beatrice post like fan art of her as She Hulk? Did that happen? Oh yeah. Yep. Wow. It yep. looked good. She's amazing, and she, she, I think that she would be able to pull it off very well. And um, I kind of wish that they would move the schedule around, but they can't. It's. <laughs> I, I feel like the the Disney Plus stuff is already been moved around a lot we still don't know what's happening with hawkeye uh, they, they, they're they being so cagey uh, about no, that they said that it's coming out 2021 yeah we'll see they said that that show miss marvel and i think she hulk are all scheduled for 2021 i will i will believe hawkeye when i see it <laughs> that's hawkeye's gonna that's... happen and it's gonna be awesome yeah um i hope so yeah Captain Marvel's cool too, man. I love that book. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, do you see they have leaked the cover of the next issue? No. No. No spoilers, it, Bob. It's the it's in the it's in the previews. You'll see you know a month ago or whatever, but it is Carol. Oh, yeah. Standing on the cover with Cap Shield and wielding Mjolnir. Yeah, totally. Wow. Yeah. That's an image. <laughs> I'll buy it. In fact, I will oh. buy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved it. It's, it's great. Uh, we were talking a little bit off air, but I, um, I'm glad that we've moved out of the, like, boss level stuff. It was like, all right, gotcha. issue one, fight Captain America. No, no, sorry. Issue <laughs> one, fight Thor. Issue two, fight Iron Man. Issue three, fight Black Panther. Issue four, fight <laughs> She-Hulk. And I was like, how long are we going to do this? Uh, issue... There was a really awesome cap moment, though. Yeah. Oh, the cap yeah. moment was great. Issue 14. Fight. <laughs> Who's a, who, obscure Avenger? Uh, Ares. Ares. Yeah, fight Ares. Ares got ripped in half. You remember when Sentry literally ripped yeah. his guts out in Siege? I want to see that again. That was, was that incredible. Bendis? Was that Bendis? That was 100% Bendis. I think who also had the, also had the blob eat the wasp, as I recall. Yeah. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, so no, 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 no. That wasn't wasp. Bendis. That was, that was Jeff Loeb. Okay. Wait a minute. That Say was, that again. That was Jeff Loeb. Jeff Loeb wrote Ultimatum Three. Right. Uh, I I don't actually know. Bendis might have done one of the Ultimatums, but I think uh, what's his face did the hit. Uh, uh, I know Brian Hitch was the artist on it. Who was like, Did he eat her by accident? Mark Millar. Mark Millar. Mark Millar. Oh, did Ultimates one. Oh. Mark Millar did Ultimates one, and Ultimates two, I think. And then, I think Jeff Loeb did Ultimatum, and yeah, like, like you turn the page, and one of the panels is Blob literally eating the wasp. <laughs> okay, hold on a minute. <laughs> is she miniaturized? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Wait a minute. So she's full, full. I thought fit. she was halfway. No, I have well, to see this. Page. Page. I have it to is, see this title. This is ridiculous. It is. It is. It's awful. And 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 I'm that is up my phone. That is often regarded as one of the worst things of all time. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Loeb and David Finch. Here. Okay, here's the thing. If you start to type it in as a search, you type blob and the letter E, it comes up. Blob eats wasp. <laughs> Instantly. 
It it was. Uh, oh my god! It was. It was. It was. This is horrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. This it's, is really bad. What the hell? And okay, so so ultimatum. All right, we're gonna go down the ultimate path here. Hey, <laughs> if, have to use this image as the image for the podcast. Ab- absolutely now. not. If you are, <laughs> hey, if you are, ult- let me let me preface this by saying ultimates brought a lot of people into comics. The Ultimate line, yeah. Ultimate Comics line that they uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, Bendis on Ultimate Spider-Man. He was on that book literally for like 29 years, it feels like. Um Ultimate Comics brought a lot of people into Marvel in the beginning of the 21st century. Ultimates served as the inspiration for the MCU in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh everything that they did there. Now <laughs> as as Marvel got its kind of new wealth of popularity and starting in the late 2000s, the ultimate line kind of lost its way a little bit. And it was like, why are we here? Uh, so they got a little edgy and uh, ultimatum Jeff Loeb and David Finch were like, let's just annihilate literally everybody. And they flooded Manhattan. Magneto like kills like a bajillion people. It's crazy. I'm pretty sure Doctor Strange like drowns like graphically. It is a it is a terrifying f- like four issue. It's not even like an, a maxi series. It was like a four issue event that just like people read and they were like, "What the hell is this?" Uh, and then Ultimate Comics was the the spin out of that. It was a nightmare, and I think that's when, as we say, the Ultimate Comics line jumped the shark, as it were. This is so graphic and absolutely disgusting and it looks like ant-man goes giant man and then bites off yep blob's head yep that is what happens as revenge uh-huh uh and i don't know where i am best of best of comic books.com do not go there i do not want to tell you <laughs> the nature of the ads that are on my phone right now and i am now receiving a message from a scantily clothed i gotta close this <laughs> yeah Jesus, it, go, go ahead. It's disgusting. Yeah. That's the first I've ever heard of that, and that's the first I've ever seen it. And uh, I just had a very big dinner, and now I feel sick. <laughs> and looking at the image again, Joey, I was just – I'm stunned at how big they're, they're drawing the blob. It's as if he's 12 oh, feet high. Yeah, it's 100%. ridiculous. And I just always assumed she was shrunken. But no, he's just monstrously big. I thought maybe she was miniaturized and somebody had like something smacked her and he was like, raw at the time. And she just went right into his mouth. But this is like full on cannibalism. Yeah, no, no, no. He, he, he lost in his teeth yeah. with her guts. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, OK. So Doctor Strange gets caught by it looks like Dormammu. And then Dormammu like wraps him in the uh in his in the yellow in like the yellow fabric belt thing and then literally like compresses him until he explodes <laughs> ultimatum man they were like screw it we're going we're going all out and no one liked it if you liked it hey power to you but uh graphic very graphic it sounds like an experience yeah all right, let's uh, let's, let's move off of that. Let's switch gears. Sorry, yeah. sorry. That's all right. It's gonna happen. <clears throat> Joey. Yes. I'm gonna put five minutes on the clock for you. Okay. Do what you will. 
go. All right. So I want to start with a book that I alluded to last week called Marvel's Voices. Um, Marvel put out a, I think it's a one shot. It might actually be a, a continued series, but it's called Marvel's Voices Number One. It's a spinoff of this podcast that Marvel put out about a year and a half ago. They're, they've got about a season and a half worth of episodes hosted by Angelique Rocher. And uh, essentially what the podcast is, is Angelique sits down for 30 minutes to an hour with creators and fans of Marvel Comics. Um, primarily creators and fans who are people of color, who are women, who are kind of the underrepresented voices, who just love Marvel and talks about how, you know, um, these lovely, lovely people found themselves in the characters and stories of Marvel. So I listened to one episode that I absolutely love with James Iglehart, who, play, who won a Tony for playing Aladdin on Broadway. Uh, he was in Hamilton for a while. I saw him in Freestyle Love Supreme on Broadway about two months ago. He's uh, just a wonderful, wonderful man, fantastic voice, incredible talent. And uh, he was invited to write a Spider-Man short. Um, because somebody at Marvel was a fan and they were like, yo, you want to write a Spider-Man short? I know you're a total nerd. And he was like, yeah, 100%. And on the podcast, he talks about, you know, loving Spider-Man, loving the X-Men. He goes on this huge riff about Scott Summers, uh, being like, uh, you know, he was like, Scott, you are the leader of the most badass superhero team ever and you're gonna be a wet towel when it comes to gene gray and wolverine like you're gonna let that guy come up in here and take <laughs> your girl and i was like hey james you're right um so it was just wonderful and he gets to write a story in here as well there it's just a bunch of shorts uh classic kind of marvel anthology a bunch of wonderful little short stories that capture kind of the essence and 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 wonder of these characters um in the same way, if you remember one of those stories we loved from a couple of years ago when the Saskas did their uh, thing riff uh, mm -hmm. for the the Christmas Halloween Halloween Halloween, Halloween issue, right? Um, so this one is very much in that same um, vein. There's some great stories in here from you know Vita Ayala, uh, James Romero Eagleheart. I mentioned Luciano Vecchio does this a uh, beautiful one pager about. Um, uh, Hulkling and Wiccan go to their first pride parade and they, uh -huh. they say, you know, it, it, it was about time for us to, to show up and, and represent for people. And it's just a powerful, oh, nice. it's just a powerful, I took a picture of the panel cause I was reading it on my phone and I just, I loved it. Um, there's a great story in here from Brandon Montclair and Natasha Bustos. I'm sure you can guess which one they were writing mm -hmm. together. Uh, a little uh, devil dinosaur action with some moon girl. Um, some great essays in here too. Some on Isaiah Bradley. Uh, others. Uh, there's also a great story on um, the Blue Marvel, who is one of my favorite Ooh. characters. Love uh, those. Uh, oh. So good in Mighty Avengers. Yeah. I love the the miniseries with him as well, and uh, just an awesome awesome story. Method Man. Writes a story wow. with Wolverine and the character Death. 
and it is awesome. Wolverine rolls into this like colonial village. It's on fire. Like the indigenous peoples have been murdered. The colonists are like they they burn the t- village down. They're like all dying. Death's just standing there watching everybody die. And Logan's like, "Why did this happen? Why did all this pain and suffering happen?" And the colonist the co- the colonizers like, "You know, it's all about money, man. We wanted the pelts. We wanted the pelts." And uh, he dies. And Logan's like. If your death, please take me from this place. Like, it is awful. I'm sick of, like, all this pain and suffering. And it is moody as hell. I'm like, damn, Method Man, this is real. I was, it was crazy. Um, Charlemagne the God writes one. Roxanne Gay writes one with Brittany Williams. Yeah, it is awesome. And then the final story with David F. Walker and Chuck Brown with art by Sanford Green, who I'll talk about in exactly 30 seconds when I talk about Bitterroot. They do an an awesome Wolverine story with Back to Madripoor. Uh, Wolverine versus the Hulk. It gets graphic. Uh, it's crazy. I love it. And it's just great seeing stories with all of these characters that mean so much to all these different types of people telling different types of stories. And um, there's something about Marvel that, when it's done right, allows for this. Um, and I love the podcast. It was great. I love Angelique's kind of perspective and, and how she talks to all of the, her guests. And I loved really every story in here. Um, so if you're into the anthology stuff, if you want to kind of get these little bite-sized morsels of some of your favorite characters that don't necessarily get the attention, check it out because I really, really enjoyed Marvel's Voices number one. Um, also read, as I mentioned, Bitterroot number six, David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, Sanford Green with Sophie Dodgson on colors. Uh, Bitterroot is back. It's been a little while. Look, at least they have a character tree slash recap page at the beginning of the book now because uh, Bitterroot is crazy. There are so many characters. It is wonderful. This picks up right after uh, Red Summer special and the end of uh, issue five. I don't want to get into the plot too much, partly because A, it's crazy and I have to read it again to really lock it down. Um, but it's just such a cool world. And Bitterroot number six really expands that out a little bit and complicates some of its commentary on um racism racialized prejudice and hate and how that manifests as these really these monsters um but what what uh walker and brown and green are doing is they're kind of building out the world of new york building out the world of of the 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 um sangari family it's great i really love bitterroot i'm glad that we were able to get it onto the lists uh when we did the best ofs a couple of months ago uh another chuck brown joint that dropped this past week was on the stump number one chuck brown and prenzy on art i talked a little bit about this last week this is the book where like elections and legislation happens via cage fighting so the book literally opens with Senator Sweet Smell Shaw versus Senator Jack Hammer in a brutal fisticuffs brawl over genetic enhancement regulations legislation. It was crazy. Um, but it's not just like a bunch of fights. It's There's a lot of intrigue here, uh, just as it is in our kind of uh, current political systems all around the world. Um, corruption, rigging fights, all of this stuff just plays out literally in On the Stump number one. Really great, promising first issue. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, And Prenzy's artwork is wild. If you're into what Sanford Green is doing on Bitterroot, if you're into some of the Flaviano stuff that we saw with the Black Widow, what Prenzy does on On the Stump is very much in that vein. So totally worth checking out. Um, 
couple of DC hits here. I'm going long. I'm sorry, but I oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> talk about okay. talk roll, about Marvel's voice a lot. A couple of DC hits here. Batman number eighty nine tying in with Carlo Pagulian, Gillum March, and Danny Mickey. Remember when it was just Tony S. Daniels, and now they have three separate artists working this book. Anyway, mm-hmm. art with uh, Tomomori here. Uh, sorry, color art from Tomomori. Uh, first of all. I opened this book up. There's an ad for Tom King, Doc Shaner, and Mitch Gerard's upcoming Strange Adventures, Adam Strange Black Label. And I was like, give me that book. That's the book I want right now. Um, second of all, Batman 89. Some big drag out fights with Batman. And Catwoman teams up with Harley. Some reveals of the big bad named the designer who looks like a bad ex-villain from the 90s. There's also a lot of butts in this issue. A lot of like real like <laughs> center shot buttocks. And I was like, wow. <sighs> remember last week when I was like, man, Pennyworth RIP makes me really invested in the Tynan thing. And then I, <laughs> and, then yeah. I and then I read 89 and I was like, butts. Uh, <laughs> it was the only takeaway. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I don't, I genuinely don't know. I, I, I have, yeah. I don't know. I don't that know. That issue in particular. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, two quick hit, quick hits here because I know that. Oh my not, god! Not everybody's on the thing. I got another book after this. <laughs> Just kidding. Should man. I save it? I'll save it. I don't talk no. about. No. Oh, 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 this is the time. This is the place. Superman smashes the clan. Jin Luen Yang and Gary uh, Hiru. Uh, I know that everybody's caught up on the book, so I just want to just say it's amazing. I love it. All three issues were fantastic. It is worth reading. It's worth reading collected. It's worth buying the individual issues just for the essays alone from Jin Luen Yang in the back. Read them. Uh, this issue, a lot more Superman here. And um, Roberta says to him, I feel like you're not allowed to be who you really are. And I was like, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> and I was just crying. And it's great. Uh, I didn't expect Superman smashes the Klan to become this awesome kind of like alternate origin story for Superman being a superhero. I, I, it really turned out to be just a wonderful story that reaffirms everything I love about the character. Um, I'm not even getting into the plot here in which Superman fights white supremacists, which is always a great, great story. Um, in the same way that, you know, white supremacists will subvert Captain America and say, you're proof that, you know, the white man is superior. Someone pulls that on Superman in this issue too. And uh, he's like, abso-frickin'-not. Um, <laughs> yes, he did. Which is great, and I love it. Uh, and the last thing I'll talk about... I won't talk about Plummet. I'll save Plummet for next week. Um, All right. But I just want to mention Wonder Woman Dead Earth, uh, number two from Daniel Warren Johnson. I was into the first issue, uh, this kind of dystopian future where Wonder Woman like wakes up and she's like, where is everybody? Oh, they're all dead. Oh, look at these survivors. I need to help them. I'm going to bring them to Themyscira. Issue two... Uh, takes some turns and uh, it's it's incredibly violent and about halfway through the issue I thought to myself this isn't what I want from my Wonder Woman I don't want her <laughs> stabbing things and like doing really violent things um, it's it, this this issue gets a, a little a little dark, a little cynical, a little pessimistic, loses a little bit of that hope. Um, and I, I'm sure that that's what Daniel Warren Johnson's kind of doing thematically, and I'm sure Diana will come out of that. Um, but this issue just took it a, a step 
I think just a step a little too far for me. And there's just, it was just a rough read at points. Um, mm. Kind of just reading Wonder Woman saying and doing some of the things that she does in this issue. I, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I'll, I'll probably still check out the next issue just to see if, you know, I trust any Warren Johnson after uh, murder Falcon, like the way that that book goes up and down and, and you come out of it just like weeping uh, in joy. Um, and I love the artwork too, but this issue, it just, I don't know, just tonally, it was a little, it was a little too much uh, for me there. And I'll save my graphic novel for next time. Speaking. Oh, go ahead, Bob. No, go, 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 Steve. Go. I was just about to say, speaking of white supremacy, but if you want to. No, um, I I had a discussion with someone at the the local shop about the Wonder Woman book. And what's it like if you were really into the sort of gruesomeness that was up in the new 52 version, you might get a kick out of it. But yeah, it is, it is it, a very raw take of it, uh, about Wonder Woman and her place in the even a destroyed universe. I it doubles wouldn't. down on some of the things from the new 52 that were kind of awful um, plot wise. And I'm not going to get into it too much mm-hmm. here. Um, and I was just like, oh, we're going to hit that again. Like, I thought we kind of like left all of that behind us when we were like after birth. Right. Um, but no, he, he brings up like, you know, uh, um, what's her mother's name? Hippolyta. Hippolyta. Yeah. He, all that stuff that they kind of tweaked with Hippolyta's origins and her relationship with some of the, all that kind of like really dark, Um, heavy stuff. They bring that up again here. And I was like, Oh, that stuff again. Mm. Mm. But the I'll art's have to great. check it out. I'm yeah. curious to read it for sure. Yeah, again, it's again, it's just I think it was just I it's not there are things that I love about the Wonder Woman character and there are things that people have been doing with the wonder woman character recently in terms of kind of the violence and in terms of like carrying the sword and things like that, um, that this issue really leans heavily into. And I was like, Oh, I've decided those are the things I don't like about the wonder woman. character. <laughs> like it, it, it kind of just like reaffirms some <laughs> yeah, of those I can things. See that. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and the real, the real thing for me is that like, you know, issue one ends with Diana being like, all of you survivors, you know, I'm going to be the beacon of hope. I, I believe that there's a future for us out there. And I'm like, right. yes, Wonder yes. Woman, let's go lead the, lead us into the future. Uh, and then this issue's like, JK, I'm going to stab someone. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. How many more do we have to go? Is it three issues or is it more? It might be, it might only be one more. So, you know, you gotta go, you go up, you go down, you come back up. I mean, I, again, okay. I think Daniel Warren Johnson is a great, creator and a great artist so like i'm not i'm not like this guy doesn't get wonder woman because i don't think that's true just this issue was just like a lot it was just like on the nose heavy i was like oh boy all right i definitely need to read it because my my interest has now peaked even more so yeah awesome all right let's see here uh Speaking of white supremacy, I'm going to do it again. I saw Jojo Rabbit. 
this uh, yesterday. Yeah, that's an oh, awesome it was amazing. Movie. It was such a good movie. Beautiful film. Beautiful film. Only Taika Watani can make a movie about Nazis and have me smiling from ear to ear and weeping toward the end of the film and uh, coming around on Sam Rockwell's character in a really big way. I loved him in in this film. Um, Everybody was great. If you get the chance to see it, absolutely see it. And if you have Amazon Prime, I've only seen the first two episodes, but that first episode, check out Hunters. If you want to feel some like just catharsis and oh, and the Pacino series. That's a uh, Pacino yeah. Pacino Nazi hunters. Yeah. Dude, it's Jordan Peele executive producing with Al Pacino and and company doing this superbly shot. The costuming is incredible. The the dialogue is so good. It has a little bit of like a Coen Brothers vibe to it um in terms of like the ensemble cast of like just nazi hunters to be quite frank about it um if you can stomach the first 10 minutes of the first episode and you make it through that i guarantee you uh you will have a lot of fun with this it has a very big very violent opening but it also has a point um there are some really harsh retellings of actual stuff that has happened to the Jewish people in the past. And um, I'm not one for religion uh, or anything. I, I am Jewish and everything like that. And I just, I've never really felt too close to my people. This show kind of opened my eyes a little bit and I, I was cheering every time once the Nazis got it. Oh God, it's really good. It's really, really good. It, it it awoke something inside me that uh, will not will no longer be at rest. And uh, it's funny, and it's it's oddly charming. And I it's just I've only seen the first two episodes, but so far so very good. Um, Brown and I had to watch Black Panther after those two things were over because we just couldn't handle the uh, the fascism anymore for that day. <laughs> I looked at Brown and I'm like, so what do you think? She's like, I think we need to watch Black Panther. So we watched Black Panther and that movie still rules. I can't get over the color palette of that film. Every single time that I see it, even when they're in the club, that whole club scene where they run into Martin Freeman's character and they have that fight on the stairs and everything. Ah, oh, so, so good. Anyway, Bob, do you have any uh, questions or comments about Joey's uh, books? Not past the one I did. No, sir. Okay. You got to be really interested in that Marvelous Voices, uh, both the comic and the podcast. Yeah, it's great. And if, if you don't feel like springing for the comic, because I think it was like four ninety nine or something like that, the po- check out the podcast because it's just really great. There's interviews. I think there's an interview with – there's one with Erica Henderson. There's one with Sana Aminat. Um, I'll pull it up right now. There's some of the guests that they have are like really. Yeah, I'll just play it on the show. Yeah, I'll play it on the show. <laughs> right, Jen Bartel. There's one with Jen Bartel. There's one with Vita. There's one with cool. Kimiko Glenn talking about Spider Verse. Um, Mariko Tamaki, Chris Anka, Cena Grace. It's just an awesome, awesome list of um, guests and a, and a really great show too. Cool. 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to add that to uh, my podcast queue. I've been into this terrible habit of listening to the same episodes of the two shows that I listen to over and over again. Uh, but I will check that out. All right. Uh, there's no way that I'm going to get this done in five minutes, but I'm going to try. All right. So Joey talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, or actually, no, um, probably before we did the awards. I think the week before we did the awards is when you mentioned uh, TKO Studios and their second wave of uh, collected series into graphic novels. And so over the past week, I got to check out Sentient. It is Sentient 1 through 6, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Gabriel Walta, with letters by Steve Wands. Uh, Reading this from the back of the book. When a separatist attack kills every adult on board a colony ship in deep space, it is up to Valerie, the onboard AI, to help the ship's children survive. But as they are pursued by dangerous forces, can Valerie become more than what she was programmed to be? A savior for these children. Huh. ba ba I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I thought this book was brilliant. Uh, it's as if Jeff Lemire and Walta took some of the best aspects of 2001 A Space Odyssey, Lord of the Flies, and Duncan Jones's Moon, and shot it into space. A uh, detail that the synopsis doesn't tell you is that before the adults died, the ship's commanding officer deactivated Valerie's mission protocols, allowing the AI to think and feel outside of its intended purpose. This leads to a very dynamic relationship between what is essentially an AI mother having to care for upward of 11 children aboard this ship. Oh yeah, and just before things went to hell, the ship had flown into a radiation belt, an area of space that will keep the ship uh, communications dark for at least a year. So they're basically adrift in space for for no longer, no, no less than a year, 11 children having to survive with no adults in the ship. Crazy. Needless to say, the story goes to some dark places as the children cope with the deaths of their parents, as well as the new chain of command during their fight for survival. One of my favorite aspects of the story was how quickly it moved and how I felt as if I had very little time to catch my breath during all the chaos. The book doesn't waste any pages whatsoever. Also, aside from the Valerie dynamic, there's also this battle of wills between two of the eldest children aboard the ship. There's some bad blood uh, there on account of what happened to the parents and why. And the journey toward coming back to common ground, I thought, was really, really compelling. Uh, Walto's art is also emotionally charged, uh, is as emotionally charged as the ba- as one bad thing after the next is introduced to these kids. The ship also has this menacing vibe to it after the adults are lost. Uh, you really get the feeling that these kids are alone uh, up there. And it disturbed me to see whole departments of the ship just devoid of life. Everything was cold. You know, it's that feeling that you get when you see an empty space where someone who's just passed used to always sit. You know, that sense of absence. Uh, The color palette is also stunning. For me, Walda's colors have, they always appear a little bit muted, uh, but they still give off a sensation of warmth. And so it felt odd to feel this heat amongst this very sterile atmosphere. It's a very bizarre combination, um, but I loved it. Anyway, really, really dug this book. This is something that will get repeat readings 
out of me uh, throughout the years. It also makes me want to check out some of the other TKO Studios books, including the other one that I picked up called The Banks, which is written by Roxanne Gay and has art by Ming Doyle with colors by Jordi Belair. I haven't read it yet, but I do have it upstairs and I'm really looking forward to it. My comic shop had all of the new TKO stuff and I went through the whole pile, uh, only had enough uh, to buy two. So those are the ones that I picked. But um, some other ones look like they would be up my alley as well. But yeah, man, really, I know you talked about Sentient a while ago. Uh, I dug this a lot. That's it. <laughs> oh, is that like that's all? That's day? it for Sentient. I don't know. I have, oh, I have okay. a whole thing about Wolverine. I can launch into my Wolverine. Oh, do you uh, want to talk about Sentient first or do you want to do Wolverine? Uh, I don't know. I was just looking for some kind of a follow up, some kind of confirmation. Like, yeah, we <laughs> enjoyed it. Couldn't yes. wait for you to read Sentient it. Sentient <laughs> was awesome. Banks is also awesome, too. Uh, Roxanne Gay and Ming Doyle are fantastic so two very very different books which is what i talked about when i when the tko stuff dropped and i talked about the second wave that all the books are so completely different from each other right sentient is this crazy like weird robot babysitter in space shit's hitting the fan every little second of every single day like lost in space meets alien meets robots right um banks is like this family caper crime you know oceans 11 family stuff it's it's fantastic um Mm. But Volta's artwork is money. It like he oh, is yeah. one of my absolute favorite artists. Um, after the Vision stuff and and uh, the Astonish not the Astonishing X Men was he on Astonishing? He I think he was on Astonishing. Like that's when I was like this this is some of the best stuff I see. That's more my style. The pointy chins in Aquaman not my <laughs> deal, right? Like I can't I can't do that. Um, but anyway, I loved it too. Worth reading. Wolverine. <laughs> Walda does really great horrified expressions. Yeah, because the eyes are so big. They're like, Aah! yeah, but like even the mouths. I think they look like uh, what is that painting? The scream. All right, let's see here. What else do I got? I got Wolverine coming in from the side. Wolverine number one, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Andy Kubert, and colors by Frank Martin, with letters by VCs Corey Pettit. The book opens with Wolverine playing hide-and-seek with a group of children on Krakoa. Logan's fellow X-Men are wondering if he's gone soft, though he insists that he's teaching the kids wilderness survival techniques. Love that. Uh, After being dead for six years, Wolverine is really soaking in the majesty and seclusion of the mutant's new island home. But will the mood last? Of course not, because it's Wolverine. So you both know, uh, Joey and Bob, you you both know about the flowers that grow on uh, Krakoa and how they can extend life, uh, cure some seemingly incurable diseases and whatnot. Correct? Yes. Thank you. Uh, Well, a group called the Order of X has started manufacturing their own versions of the drug. Oh, boy. Only they've got the formula horribly wrong. Uh, they're basically taking it as a, and this is, what is the other mutant-related drug that they had in the books? Um, oh God, MGH. MGH. It's kind of like that, but has the worst side effects I've ever seen, including melting your skin off. Uh, 
Without getting into too many details, because I'm sure people have been looking forward to this, the story revolves around Wolverine and members of the X-Force investigating the Order of X, which happens to be a cult who sees the mutants as saviors of the world, of the new world, uh, and they'll stop at nothing to emulate their gods. There's also this subplot that involves a grizzled detective named Agent Bannister, who's investigating uh, deaths in relation to the counterfeit drugs uh, for a very personal reason. And uh, I kind of dig his laid-back, hardened detective Lebowski-ish vibe that he's got going on. Uh, something about the way he's drawn his face. He just uh, there's a thousand stories written in in, in the details of his face, and I'm curious to uh, spend more time. I'm anxious to spend more time with that character. I would say. Uh, let's see. Andy Liberty and Frank Martin's art. Andy Liberty. Where the hell did I get that from? Andy Kubert. Jesus. Autocorrect. <laughs> Good God. This is on Google Docs, too. This should, oh, I was doing it on my phone. No wonder. Okay. Um, Frank Martin's art. Uh, in this very, uh, it very much reminds me of uh, Joshua Cassara and Dean White's work on X-Force. Uh, it's got a very organic look to it with lots of lush foliage and almost translucent skin tones. You can really see the muscle definition in the characters, but that's not like silly Wolverine sporting a 16 pack sort of way, but just really being able to see their postures and how like in the tense moments, their their neck muscles have tensed up and their fighting stances uh, have been, you know, they're more supplanted into the ground to ready themselves and stuff like that. You can feel the weight distribution of these characters as they move around uh, this world. And I just think that's a really cool aspect of the art that we have here in this book. Uh, I really like the Wolverine that Percy is writing. He's vulnerable and wants nothing more than to keep the peace on Krakoa. Uh, he wants things to just, just be cool, man. And uh, but in the you know deep down he knows that it can never last because uh, his life just doesn't go that way and he will stop at nothing to keep everyone safe um, and unfortunately you know he kinds of and he kind of ends up hurting people in the process uh, as Wolverine tends to do. Uh, let's see. Ba, ba, ba. There's also because this is a double sized issue uh, we got another story called Catacombs which is written by Benjamin Percy with art by Victor Bogdanovich. And colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by VCs Corey Pettit again. Uh, really quick, this story deals with an old enemy of Wolverine's. I will not spoil who it is. Uh, being welcomed to Krakoa, and Logan is not happy about it. He is not willing to be a part of the welcome wagon. He wants this person gone. There is no forgiveness for this individual. Uh, the story explores the idea of forgiveness and equality for all mutants who come to Krakoa and how some monsters are too terrible to ever be forgiven or be given another chance at freedom and acceptance. Uh, there's also some crazy vampire stuff that goes on in this as well. Uh, really enjoyed both stories. I mean, the, the first one, I think, is going to be our main. That stood out to me more than the, than the second, but... Um, Definitely anxious to or excited to see where both of those stories go. And just a really beautiful book. I, I can't even tell you how long it's been since I've picked up a Wolverine, like a numbered Wolverine solo series. I think the last Wolverine that I read was Wolverine and the X-Men, Jason Aaron, from all those years ago. And so, yeah, you know, riding, 
continuing to ride that X train all the way to the station, I am absolutely loving all all of the X-Men stuff that I'm reading right now. They've all been really, really good. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Ben Percy, first of all, actually talks like Wolverine. As, uh, <laughs> as we discussed after New York Comic Con. Uh, he announced Wolverine number one. He was like, hey, everyone. I get to announce that I'm doing my fan favorite character. It's a dream. Wolverine number one. And I was like, is this real? Is he doing a bit? Nope. That's how he talks. Ben Percy wrote the scripts for um, the Wolverine podcast. Uh, it's, it's, oh. a, it's a night of pitching other podcasts. The the Wolverine Long Night and the um, uh, the one in New Orleans. I can't remember the, the name. Last Trail? Long Trail? Something like that. Uh, long Halloween? No. <laughs> no, no. The first one was uh, Long Night. Anyway, uh, so he wrote those. So when he was announced that he was writing the, the, the comic, I was like, oh, that's, that's really exciting. Uh, and I agree with you. His version of Wolverine is... It, it has that, like, gruff and, like, one line of Wolverine, like, this is how I talk kind of bit. But there's kind of a, a weathered warmth to him. When he's doing – when he's having drinks with Kitty – sorry, Kate yeah. on the boat, um, I love that. I love moments like that and that Ben Percy was able to include moments like that in this issue um, really shows a kind of more mature – take on Wolverine that has taken into account all of the growth and development that he's had over the last 40 years of his existence. Um, yeah. And you don't have to worry about spoiling Omega red because it was literally in the solicit like Omega oh. red's coming back. Um, all right. I was trying to be nice. Yeah, no, it's, it's, but, uh, it's every, I don't know why this is, but people freaking love Omega red. Uh, I've never read anything with him in it. He's ever. wild. He's crazy. Um, but uh, it's I really liked it too. I was surprised to find two completely separate stories in here, two full length stories that were both awesome in their own respects, mm-hmm. um, and both really great Wolverine stories as well. And it and like you said, it's got me hooked for the next issue. I want the continuation yeah. of the two stories. Yeah, I you know there's a. Especially when you look at the the final page for that first story, I don't want to spoil too much about what's going on. But needless to say, Wolverine does something real bad at one point in this story. And normally when stuff happens to Wolverine, his his knee jerk reaction is to pop the claws and just, you know, berserker rage into battle. And we just get this pissed off screaming shredding wolverine and here like you said it's kind of a more matured version of him in places he's still upset he's still you know carving uh, a couple of dudes here and there but there is this sadness to him it's like the the anger has been replaced with just all of these memories of times when this sort of thing has happened before and rather that than him just being angry with the people that did it to him, there's this deep sense of remorse for huh. the pattern that he seems to have locked himself into. No matter how many times he comes back, he always ends up being this person to his friends and, and, and everything like that. 
And um, I just, I really, I really felt that, you know, and it was, it was because of the moments, like you said, with Kate on the boat and the moments where he is playing hide and seek and, and, you know, his hiding spot gets exposed and his reaction to that, where you really do see that after having come back, he's changed and it's, it's been a little subtle, but I mean, we first, we saw uh, a hint of this. I forget in because we're reading so many X books right now, but one of the X books where um, X twenty three Laura is saying, you know, I go by Wolverine now, and Wolverine standing behind her and just goes, you know, damn right, kid, and I just that that nod of approval, his understanding of that that he's been gone, she took the moniker, it's hers now, she's you know she's earned it, she's the whole thing. Um, this respect that he has for, for, for the time that he was gone and, and stuff like that. I don't know. I just, I'm getting, I'm getting a Hugh Jackman's Logan Wolverine vibe from him. Um, in these, since he's been back and I, I'm really digging it. It gives a lot of depth to the character and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be along for the ride. X-Men read it, read all of them. The only one I'm not reading is Fallen Angels, which is also great. But yeah, I know. <laughs> very specific. Doesn't collect and trade until April. So I told myself I would try to wait until April. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Let's uh, let's move it right along here. We'll hit a couple of uh, new stories real quick. And then I think we'll hit the old dusty trail. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Bob, why don't you lead us off? with this uh doc savage news yeah uh we're gonna start from the middle i guess it, it's been in development for a couple of years as, as a movie almost as far back as 20 at one point arnold schwarzenegger was attached to star as doc savage then the rock was part of this shane black had written a treatment that's been around for about five or six years his was a little off center i think uh, he had the he had a troubled doc savage and Apparently, it's now gone into pre-pre-production as a television show for Sony. Now, for those who don't know, Doc Savage, at most levels, you can think of him as the prototype for almost every superhero that's followed. I know there's Zorro and the Scarlet Pimpernel and those sort of masked Avengers sort of characters, but Doc Savage was created all the way back in 1933 by the publishers of Street and Smith, Henry Ralston, John Nonovic. And a writer named Lester Dent, although the novels all come out as Kenneth Robeson, that, I guess he liked it better than Lester Dent. Doc Savage is the strongest, smartest person on the planet. Years of training with all the right disciplines set in place by his father. He's fabulously wealthy from the gold from a Central American country called Hidalgo. Well, Clark Savage Jr., the man of bronze, lives and has his headquarters in the upper stories of the Empire State Building. He has a series of assistants. Most of them are in the early books. They, they switch it out. They're the Fabulous Five. Each with is a lawyer and a chemist and an electrical engineer. And he also has his Fortress of Solitude in the Arctic, for those who want to wonder why Sweet and Smith never sued DC. Um, there are a hundred and something novels that were reprinted. This this became wow. very popular again in well, it was a pulp magazine series for years. It was a comic book by Street and Smith. It's been a comic by DC, Marvel, you name it. 
at some point or another, someone's taken a run at this. It's just a great character. But in the 60s, 70s, uh, they reprinted the paperback editions with these amazing painted covers by a fellow named James Baum. I sent you one of the images over. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of this Alex Ross thing, but even beefier. And I I fell in love with those books then. As as novels, they're they're kind of repetitive. You shouldn't read five or six of them in a row. They're very quick reads, but the same sort of things happen because they were magazines, they were magazine stories. There was a movie in 75 by George Powell who did the original War of the Worlds and Time Machine films that they cast the right fella, a guy named Ron Ely, who was Tarzan on television, and looked the part, the opening half hour, not counting the rotten theme song they added, is the first novel. And it's great. And it goes very campy. And that, it's, it's a real shame. It could have been a fun little movie. They had plans for a second one that never came about. And... If handled properly, I think it's better for television. He has such a large cast of characters, including his cousin Pat, who's always around. He has his own supervillains who turn up and he fights giant monsters and all sorts of things. The character development that you could bring into play with this great group of folks that surround him, much better for television, I think. I, I don't know what platform it's going to be on. Is Sony going to start streaming TV, too? I, you know, I was just wondering that very thing. I was trying to see if maybe somewhere in this article they say who this is going to. But, uh, I mean, they might auction it to yeah. somebody and see who wants it. Uh, I don't know of too many Sony Pictures television properties. I mean, it could be a bunch of stuff that I'm not aware of. But, I, yeah, I have no idea where this is going to land. Yeah. Now, the thing of it is the novels are written, well, the, the pulp stories that were then put into these little paperbacks, they're all from the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. When they tried this movie in the 70s, yes, they said it back then, and Doc, sort of a Tony Stark, Reed Richards, he's an amazing scientist. So he, he in essence, Doc Savage invented, well, these novels did, I don't know, the answering machine, helicopters, you name it, all sorts of crazy things that, uh, night vision goggles, television, the flying wing airplane is all in, in Doc's books before anything else. They're great little pieces of science fiction. That technology, which looks so interesting when you see it as a period piece, if you, if you do it modern, I think it loses a little something. But a period piece is going to be very expensive to film as a television show. Mm. So there's going to be a lot of green screen. You're going to have to film somewhere that still looks really old. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing that with... Um... What is that that Alfred show that they had? Gotham? Pennyworth? No. Pennyworth. Yeah. I mean you can do you can do period piece shows. It really it's a matter of how much money they're right. willing to, yeah. to put behind it. Because less money they have, the harder it's gonna be to fill those sets. Uh, that's one of the drawbacks to some like modern animated series is things taking place in the city. And magically, like, nobody is out. Nobody's walking to the corner store. Streets are just empty because it's cheaper. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm definitely, definitely curious to see how this comes together. I don't know who you cast for this. You know, if you get an unknown or if you import somebody from another show, I have no idea. Okay, at one point, Shane Black had The Rock. He would be perfect. He also... At some point, had Chris Hemsworth attached to it. Okay. But he's kind of busy doing Thor's, but he he might. 
I don't know. Mm, it would. I would. It would have to go to a really big. Get, I would think a streaming service in order to get Hemsworth get, uh, on board. They'll get Henry Cavill. Yeah, he could, he, could, he could. No, he could do it. No question, he could do it. Hey, man, The Witcher's fun. I had a good time with that show. <laughs> um, so definitely up for for season two. You have to find someone who can both be very physical but also be still. That's Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill. Oh, yeah, I don't mean boring. I mean, you know. Oh! I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. I haven't seen the show. Um, so don't get he Momoa. was good in uh, Mission get, Impossible. Don't get Jason Momoa. Permission to oh, come yeah, aboard. Right. I, I, you know, that wouldn't be awful. It really wouldn't. Um, but they got uh, HBO got Momoa to do that uh, TV show on uh, not on uh, Apple TV. Uh, Apple. On Apple, Apple TV, TV that nobody yeah. watched. See? Here's the thing, though. Of all the adaptations that there were talks about, at some point, I think it was the early 2000s, was after Spider-Man, Street and Smith, they were trying to license a whole thing together where they were going to do a shared universe picture. It included The Shadow and Doc Savage with Sam Raimi to direct and produce. Now, that would have been fun, but, you know... Isn't Sam Raimi, wasn't it announced that he's doing, he's now the, the director of the Doctor Strange multiverse madness movie? They're in talks. Yeah. I don't think it's official yet, but he's been seen in the building a few times. Mm, they should lock that down. Yeah. All right, Doc Savage. Doc Savage. So there you go. Doc Let's Sa- do it. I'm very excited about Doc Savage. Very cool. Moving right along, Tom King teasing. Not so much of a tease when it's right there. But uh, when Batman Catwoman comes out, Catwoman's gonna be pregnant. Oh, yeah. Uh, Newsarama says, Batman Catwoman writer Tom King has posted a new illustration by Mikhail Janin and Jordi Belair that show his two heroes in a loving embrace with Selina apparently pregnant. Newsarama, she is definitely, she's she looks quite pregnant in this. Here's my prediction. I think it's going to be twins. That's what I think. Okay. Why? Because cats, cats never cats give birth. Cats have litters. Okay, that's stop. Okay. There's no storyline purpose. You're just like he's gonna. She's gonna have twins. I think that if they introduce a male child into the bat family. I I will be I'll, I'll be slightly disappointed no, that we're just getting another of the same. It's got to be it's going to be Helena. Yeah, it's got to be the Huntress, yeah. Yeah. Is that what it's going to be? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be just in time for generation 5. Is there no. a Huntress in the current Afterbirth? This is why I'm confused. This is why you think it's going to be Huntress? Um I have I was not reading the Birds of Prey. When it was out as part of the rebirth, I gave up after five or six issues. Yeah. I, I don't actually recall. Let's look it up. <laughs> she was part of the new 52, and it was their Earth 2 Helena, who would come over with Supergirl or Power Girl. Yeah. In the, in the would they really be introducing her as a infant child, though? Well, I mean... Well, Generation 5 is supposed to feature the kids... 
or the young people, and it's going to be set somewhat in the future. So if they've aged up Jonathan to be a grown-up and Lucius Fox is now Batman, if that's going to happen as they said it was going to happen, and even with our next news story, it hasn't been canceled yet. Okay, so let's see if Helena Bertinelli's running around the afterbirth. Uh, these issues, uh, the reason that they delayed some of the Batman Catwoman is because they want uh, they wanted to give Clayman time to do all of the issues. All right, so Helena Bertinelli version of Huntress is running around DC Rebirth. Okay, I think in the in the Batgirl Birds of Prey book, but Helena Wayne obviously is not. Right. There's a Helena Wayne? Girl, yeah. you gotta get up on Did you the listen to the show I don't two know weeks the ago? DC universe that well. It was two weeks ago. I ran it all down for you. She is the daughter of Batman and Catwoman in the Earth the Earth old two? Earth Two. Yeah, Earth Two. She was part of the All Star Squadron, the the uh, successor to the Justice Society. And in DC New Fifty Two, they did the Earth Two stuff with her. Right, and she and Power Girl came across into our universe. Right, but and as an she alien, she took the name Helena Bertinelli as a as a nod to the other one. Yeah, it's all quite convoluted. Yeah, she takes up the Helena Wayne takes up being the huntress after the death of her mother. I'll be disappointed if it's not Helena Wayne. <laughs> Me too. Exactly. <laughs> I just I don't need another Damien. I don't need another Dick Grayson. I don't need another Jason Todd. Imagine if Catwoman I, had, like had a baby and Batman was like, "We're gonna name it Dick Grayson." <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? Oh, Robin. We're gonna name it. Yeah, we're gonna name it Robin Todd Grayson. <laughs> all right, that's all the jokes we have for the. Uh... Bad cat. Let's see here. Next story. This is coming from the Hollywood Reporter and everywhere on Twitter. DC's Dan Didio is out as the co-publisher of DC Comics. Can confirm THR. So Didio uh, has served as publisher of DC alongside Jim Lee since 2010, following a six-year stint as VP Executive Editor, and prior to that, VP Editorial. So, this is um, this is from from the reactions that I saw on Twitter. I have to admit that I don't necessarily understand all the ins and outs of this, but some people were were genuinely shocked and and very upset. Uh, there were a bunch of people tweeting about. Uh, Didio's basically involvement with them and helping them get their books made and his uh, support and camaraderie towards their stories and their ideas for the characters and stuff like that. So all of that stuff was really, really nice to hear, um, especially in this day and age when sometimes people are leaving things abruptly and, you know, you find out some very nefarious things about them. That does not seem to be the case. Uh, as publisher, Didio was one of the main figures behind DC's 2011 line-wide relaunch, The New 52, which saw the company provide a contemporary makeover of its entire superhero back catalog. Uh, initially uh, a sales success, 
Both sales and buzz faded to the point where 2016 subsequent line-wide relaunch <laughs> under the banner DC Universe Rebirth restored many elements dropped in the re- in the reboot. I'm almost done. Uh, Didio's departure comes ahead of an announced further relaunch of the DC comic universe that would restore even more elements removed as part of the 2011 reboot as teased at New York City Comic Con last year. Saying that this project has not been officially announced, certain stories that reportedly tie in have been, including DC's free comic book day release Generation Zero, Gods Among Us. It's unclear if plans for this relaunch will be delayed or canceled in the wake of his news. So I'm going to look this up because I don't want to be wrong about this, but I believe that since he he left um, as quickly as he did, I believe Jim Lee is now uh, taking on both positions for the time being until they can find a permanent replacement or elect somebody. I don't know. I'm going to look it up. Uh, thoughts, comments, concerns. Joe, you want to go or should I? Uh, I could talk about it briefly. Um, okay. It's funny because when when Dan Didio announced that he was leaving, I, I, a lot of the same response, Steve, that, that I saw, you know, a lot of people saying like, hey, whatever you think about Didio's kind of like editorial style and storytelling, uh, he gave a lot of people their breaks and et cetera, et cetera. So the 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 response I think from from the creators was generally positive. No one was coming out and being like, "Good, f that guy," <laughs> like which which you never want to see anyway. So so right. in, in that regard, I think that it was a, it was a surprise, um, but but uh, but kind of people took it in stride. Um, creatively, I mean, a lot of the things that. Sometimes we are guilty of making fun of here on the podcast came from yeah. Dio's tenure. So like, so it's, uh, you know, he, he was the guy who was like, yeah, let's reboot the universe, but only parts of it, uh, which, which led to, uh, some, some really confusing things, um, when all of that happened. Um, but Hey, I mean, it's, some of the stories about his incredibly hands-on editorial approach, his kind of declarations about um, marriage, kids, things like that in the DC universe. Uh, some of his choices regarding uh, um, certain characters, you know, they are what they are and we've moved past them into other different stories Um you know, in a world where in a world, in a world, in a world where we had new 52 Batman and, and all the, the weirdness that happened after that, you also get him presiding over Tom King's run as well. So it's like, yeah, there's some misses, but you know, there's some hits as well. Um, I like, like the news report kind of implies though. I do wonder what this means because, we liked uh, the the Doomsday Clock stuff, and I wonder what the future holds when you have this kind of editorial shakeup at the very top uh, for some of the things that were seeded in a series like that. Um, so I don't know. I don't really know. I got a 
quickly just read these two headlines. Not a big fan of Bleeding Cool, but Jim Lee awakens from four-day nap to learn he's suddenly in charge of <laughs> yeah. DC Comics yeah, is a great, great headline. headline. Kudos to that. And uh, this other headline coming from Comics News, DC Comics publisher and writer Dan Didio out as Jim Lee remains for now as sole publisher and for chief now. creative officer. So for now, but he's in charge of the whole kit and caboodle for the moment. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the biggest, the last thing I'll say, Bob, before I hand it over to you is like, you know, I think Didio represents for a lot of people, uh, let's say a move at DC to cater towards a particular audience. And which he, which he named directly. Yes. Um, which led to, certain artistic choices in terms of the representations of violence, the representations of kind of more darker, more adult storylines. Um, and which, which is alienating, uh, as we've talked about on the show tons of times, right? How do you make comics accessible? Um, and I don't think Didio was particularly interested in that. Uh, with that said, during Didio's tenure as co-publisher, there were strides. So, you know, personal, you know, uh, publishing goals aside, you know, you still get things like Batgirl. Um, you still get things like some of the, the DCU stuff. Of course, he may have been the person that pulled the plug on some of those things, too. But yeah, I'm sure he was. Yeah. As he, and he, again, he also made sure there wasn't... Yeah, but anyway, go, you go, Joe. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, I'll, I'm I'm always interested more in what the future brings when these kinds of shakeups happen, um, than than dwelling on a on a on a past that uh, that is already in the books, as it were. Um, and I'll be interested to see whether it's Jim Lee or they bring on someone else. Uh, call Shelly Bond up, you know, get her back over there. Yeah. Jesus. Um, but uh, I, I'm interested to see what the steps are to address some of those things or take DC into perhaps a different direction um, in the future. Indeed. Yeah. It is definitely a mixed bag. In, during his tenure, you did a lot of other changes in the industry as well that, that affected uh, some things. But Vertigo went from the place for creator-owned goods to being gone. You did have that coarsening of the conversation in that the house style became, for those who loved it, it was wonderful. But as you say, Joey, it's alienating at worst. It is sort of separatist as well in you like that, that's what you were going to get. You knew what you were going to get in the DC book. And there were those attempts. The DCU, though that was Mark Doyle, and I don't know how much input uh, Dan had on that, tried for something. But as you say, we tried it, and they they only sold 20,000 copies, so they were all gone. He did foster a lot of careers of people we all love here, so there's that to be said. But someone who says, well, we don't make books for kids. If you want our kids' books, read Scooby-Doo. We make books for 45-year-old men. Mm, that, I remember right. that. Right. That becomes self-limiting, and then it becomes self-limiting as to what creators get hired. And then those other decisions, as you said, Joey, uh, marriages were out, and 
some of that was to cover them over the Kate Kane Maggie Sawyer disaster. Can't have kids. It ages up the characters and so on and so forth. Still, we had books that people loved, and they did have those two great sales boosts. But in both cases, sales eventually drifted away to less than they were before. I mean, I was following, the, for instance, because I, I do such things. We were doing, you see the Comicron numbers on the air? Yeah. And you could watch the books, except for Batman, everything, wonderful highs, and then just a gradual erosion to the point they were selling less than they did beforehand. So they pushed out as many readers as they got, solidified their base, but never really added people to it. What's happening now, though, these uh, young adult graphic novels are a, an amazing addition to the line. So mm -hmm. if he had something to do to, with that at all, kudos to him on that. So, again, mixed bag. I don't want to say he was the Richard Nixon of comics, but lows were low, highs were high, and... Just say, we'll see where the future goes. They have a new corporate overlord themselves with AT&T in charge now. <laughs> well, they do. They've cut I, down. I know. I keep forgetting about that. Right. They've cut down the number of books published, which was not a bad idea. Marvel should do the same thing. Never. And No, it's not going to happen. But uh, you, the amount of sales you get by, by having 10 covers on everything eventually that's going to wear itself out too. So Marvel needs to get on that. DC does basically one for each, unless they're doing the 750s, where we have a Joker and Catwoman 80th anniversary issues. Each of them have 10 covers, and they come out a week apart, and they're $10 each. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and there is there is someone in my local store who's getting 10 of each, which you is know, which is That's nuts. your bag. That's your bag. That's great. That's just a lot of stuff, and... We'll see. I, I don't think AT&T will make this into a strip mine for intellectual properties. Mm -hmm. But will will they stand behind the whole idea of all new characters in these cowls and capes? And the regular folks in $8 black label books? I don't know. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to see where we're going. Speaking of uh, sales figures, I remember when we used to read those on the show. Can you still get access to those? Yeah, it's Comicron, C H R O N. We should uh, we John, should bring that John back. Jackson I always Miller. enjoyed that. Pulling the numbers, uh, what was it? Once a month. Yes. We should we should the definitely top, start the, doing the top that. Three, again. The top three hundred that we used to be. You can still get all the the bigger picture numbers from them. yeah the market share dollars or or books sold and uh, it's three three four and five are, are an interesting state of flux. Image is still solidly three, but the other ones are creeping upwards. I would be curious to follow that again. That's uh, maybe that's something that we can bring back to the show in the future because I always thought that that stuff was fun. I kind of just forgot that we were no longer doing it. Uh, I don't know, something to chew on for later. Yeah. So yeah, uh, big sea change on the way for for DC Comics. It'll be interesting to see what happens with them throughout the year as they shift things around and, you know, repurpose people and whatnot. Uh, I don't think that Jim Lee can do this by himself for the long haul, so... No, but I don't think they're going to ask Paul Levitz to come back. Mm. Uh, is Jim Shooter busy? <laughs> I don't know. He's not all that old. He's in his early 60s, I guess. Ah, 
let's uh, let's let's maybe broaden the the horizons a little bit. Maybe look okay. outside the box. Okay, Gail Shelley Bond is uh, Gail Simone. Oh my God, I <laughs> I would lose my mind. I don't think she'd do it though. I don't. Think, I really, I, don't think I really don't. I don't think she would do it. I think they would ask her to do it, and she'd be like, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no." Creative consultant would be a good place for her, though. Oh, Since absolutely. Going for Catalyst Prime to oversee the big picture. I would never want her to do anything that she's not comfortable doing, but I would also love to see her in some kind of position of power, you know, or even if she was like absorbed by another label and 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 made the you know the big wig of of that uh, that publisher that might be cool even for just a couple of years kind of like uh, what Gerard Way did with Young Animal, you know, do like a subset of something. It's funny you mentioned that some of the most creative things that happened in DC in the last ten or fifteen years under his leadership are things like Young Animal and DCU and these graphic novels. So, so do we say, know that well, that's all Didio though? Well, I don't know. That's it. The corporate structure is such that there are editors for each line. The bat editor was Mark Doyle, who did all those DCU books. Mm. He was doing mm. Gotham, Gotham Academy and Batgirl of Burnside and those things. Right. I think he was in charge of Bizarro as well. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. I wonder what the split is for that. I guess we'll never know. Not now, unless we get him to come on the podcast. He, Not he, anymore. Dan, yeah. Dan isn't Dan busy. Video. You know, you want to come on, Dan? You don't have anything we'll, going on now. We'll talk about your legacy. All over the news. Your Sunday night, Your Sunday uh, afternoon is free. <laughs> All right, we got one more news story for you. This is more of an announcement uh, than anything else. DC and IDW have announced that they're teaming up to bring lock and key to the Sandman universe. Ooh. Yeah, I, I really wish that Sarah was here because I feel like it would have gotten a bigger reaction. <laughs> IDW and DC are teaming in October for a crossover of Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez's Lock and Key and Neil Gaiman Sandman universe and the appropriately titled Lock and Key Hell and Gone, a Sandman universe crossover event. Who's the times. creative team on said book? Oh. Uh... I believe it's uh, who you would expect. They put out a tweet that doesn't tell you. Oh, wait, um, Joe Hill and will debut. Yeah, it's coming from Joe Hill and, and Gabriel Rodriguez. It's it's team team lock and key. OK, are going to be presented, which is awesome. Yes, absolutely awesome. What books are we looking forward to next week? Uh, Joey, what are you picking up? Uh, I'm going to get X-Men Fantastic Four 2, second issue of Star as well, which I feel like has been a while since we got Star. Mm-hmm. Need to know what Very happened much with so. that uh, reality gem or whatever the hell. Uh, X-Men at least two seven. months. Yeah, X-Men number seven. Falcon and the Winter Soldier number one is coming out. This is like these little leaks and, and little drips and drabs of what the Falcon and the Winter Soldier television series is going to be about. These rumors now spinning around that Isaiah Bradley is going to be featured in it. And I'm like, let's go. Uh, so there was a new is, rumor today about Omega Red being in it. Forget Omega Red. I don't understand why people love Omega Red. <laughs> people love Omega Red and I just don't get it. <laughs> Oh, he's just got these like freaking metal tentacles. Who gives? Anyway. Bob, are you joking? I can't tell if no, you're joking right no, now. No, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. There was a rumor about it, and I was like, "There's a leak." Stop. A leak. What would he even be doing there? Don't fight him. 
Winter Soldier will punch him in the head. That's what will happen. Yeah, but cold open. Omega Red. He's a mutant, is he not? So Marvel's yeah. got Marvel's got X Men now. Okay, you keep talking. I'm gonna I'm gonna anyway, look this up. Look it up. The look big it up. ones for me this week are Giant Size X Men, Gene yeah. Grey, Frost, One Shot. Very excited for that one. And the follow-up to Event Leviathan, Leviathan Dawn number one, another little miniseries here, I am very excited for as well. Um, and two books from Dark Horse, I think, Hidden Society number one and Tomorrow number one. Tomorrow number one is by Peter Milligan, and Hidden Society number one is from Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, I have no idea what those two are about. I just like the teams on both of them, so I might check those books out too. Okay. Here you go. I'm looking this up. And it looks, this is breaking six hours ago and four hours ago from two websites that I've never heard of. Oh, before. no, it's sketchy. It is it's super sketchy. Yeah, it's, it's Rumor City. Yeah, Rumor yeah. City. Well, I said Rumor. Rumor City. The, I think the Isaiah Bradley stuff is more interesting. That's solid, yeah. Um, one more book on the list here, uh, Angel is now being retitled Angel and Spike number nine, spinning out of the Hellmouth crossover, which was awesome. I need to catch up a little bit on it, and then I'll talk about the whole kit and caboodle on the show when I get when I get to uh, finish it all up. Um, but I'll probably be picking up Angel and Spike number nine as well. Bob, what are you picking up? All those things that Joey said for the most part, as well as Wonder Woman 752, mm-hmm. Fantastic Four Grim Noir mm-hmm. is this week as well. And... I may, it's a little out of my wheelhouse, but I may take a shot at Amethyst Number 1 by Amy Reader. Oh, you know you're going to. <laughs> you know you're going to. Is she writing it and re- uh, and making the yes. art for it? Yeah. Oh, come on. You're going to buy it. You're probably right. You're definitely going to buy it. It'll be next week's open discussion book. You watch. Okay. <laughs> uh, I am continuing with Folklore. Oh, is that all your books, Bob? That's it. Okay. Uh, I'm continuing the Folklords number four from Matt Kent and Matt Smith. Uh, Invisible Kingdom number 10. I'm also picking up Amethyst number one. Monstrous number 26. Giant Size X-Men Jean Grey and Emma Frost number one. New Mutants number eight. Star number two. X-Force number eight. X-Men number seven. And X-Men Fantastic Four number two. X-Train. Woo-woo. Does anybody have any comments, questions, or closing statements? Going once. Yeah. Going twice. One quick one. Uh, fellow who you, a lot of people may not know his name, but Russ Cochran passed at age 82 over the weekend, was a physics professor who made himself into one of the great comics historians and archivists of all time. And one of the reasons everyone has had a chance over the last 40 years or so to be able to see, read, and collect the EC comics is Russ Cochran. Oh, wow. Again, re- reprinting them in giant oversized editions. Before there were Masterworks and Archives and IDW Artist Editions, he did the entire run of EC Comics, the horror books, the westerns, the science fiction, mad as, as well, in these giant editions shot from the original artwork. Then made arrangements with Gladstone, which is part of the whole Disney thing, and he, they did Disney stuff, all the Carl Barks, Donald Duck, as well as then reprinting the ECs back as the original size issues in color and had Marie Severin recolor some of them. So thank you, Russ Cochran, for all my back room is covered in the 17 box sets of EC horror comics and everything else. So, wow. yeah, he, he was a giant really was. 
Very nice, Bob. Thank you for that. No problem. Okay. I think that we have reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Don't forget to check out talkingcomicbooks.com for reviews from our fantastic contributors. And please go listen to Talking Valiant, D&D Adventure, and of course, the ladies of Valhalla. They have just dropped a brand new episode of their podcast for a conspiracy of ravens. Uh, I am going to get my act together sometime this week, and we will be posting that show as well as a best of show that actually never made it to the Talking Comics feed. Oh, um, so you'll be getting you'll be getting two new episodes of the Ladies of Valhalla sometime this week on the Talking Comics feed. So make sure that you look out for those. Uh, Bob, where can our listeners find you? Old fashioned email, Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Joey at Joey Bracino. Jessica is at Jarsco for all the things. Sarah is at Geek Country Lady. Ronwin is at Shiny Baby B. Uh, they are the ladies of Valhalla.com. If you want to listen to those shows before I post them, go ahead, check them out. They also have a Patreon that you can get down on, all that good stuff. Uh, I am at dead underscore anchors on Twitter. So for Bob. Who let the dogs out? Roof, roof, roof. Joey. <laughs> I want to, okay, it has to be Helena. If it's not Helena, <laughs> I'm walking. Twins. I'm with you. Helena. And then Bert and Ernie. Those gonna be <laughs> those gonna be the two names. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my name is Steve Say. You already know that. Thanks for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued. Rumored Falcon and Winter Soldier spoilers from 4chan. That's all I needed to see. Okay. <laughs> now, I saw it was uh, someone doing a uh, two different people doing YouTube videos today. Oh yeah, no. Th- I mean, who knows? This this could. I mean, there's uh, apparently. I'm looking at this thumbnail. There's photographic evidence of the character, and who knows? Maybe maybe it'll turn out to be true. Yeah. That is a left field addition, uh, if that pans out. But I'd be interested to see it. Something see, I've, that's, that's one of us. That's good. <laughs> yeah, no, like I'm. Uh, let's yeah. go. I'm. I'm up for whatever those shows have to dish out. I am just. Uh, I. I want to see all the comic book movies that are coming out this year right now, good or bad. I don't care. I can never get enough of them. Um. Very interested to see Morbius <laughs> that <laughs> slithers onto the screen <laughs> for better or worse. Oh, God.